Well, good evening, everyone. I hope you remember me. I'm the guy that used to do Wednesday nights before I agreed to share with Pastor Corey. And uh, no, seriously, he, we, um, part of his responsibility as executive pastor is he, he wanted to keep preaching since he was not going to be preaching to youth. And um, I thought, well, that'd be great for us to share Wednesday nights. And because of the craziness of this year, and our original schedule was just shattered. So it was going to be me for about three months and then him for a couple of months and then me for a couple of months. But we just got kind of chopped up here and I ended up finishing the first part of uh, the life of Moses. And tonight we pick up with the second half of it. Thank you, Glenn. You got me. <laughs> you, you want me to tr do a trust fall? Just sit back in the chair. I'll be there. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. <clears throat> Thank you for that good worship tonight, by the way. Um, but anyway, I had to divide Moses up a little bit. But uh, we spent some time talking about the situation of Israel, uh, what it means to cry out to the Lord. And then we talked about his birth. We talked about in, in childhood. Then we talked about his exile into the wilderness, which was really, you would think, would be the best years of his life, the, the 40 to 80. Um, the, 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 the wisdom of those years is usually, hopefully, is phenomenal for us. But he spent his best years um, in the wilderness after spending his strongest years um, serving Egypt, but we come to the table now where he has an extraordinary third section of his life, and uh, it begins when he is 80 and will end at about the age of 120 in, uh, when we get to, to number 12. We're on number seven tonight. Um, tonight we're talking about the, the idea of between the devil and the deep Red Sea. Now we're talking the Red Sea, uh, Gulf of Suez, not the uh, not the deep blue sea as the old saying goes, but the key verse that we want to read is Exodus 14.31. I'm going to do this lesson a little bit differently tonight. I'm going to uh, uh, tell the story and kind of let the story bring our points out itself. I'm doing it a little different than the other outlines, but it's because of the nature of this story. It is... Uh, it's, it's the story, when I did my original outlines for this, um, I had four sermons on the crossing at the Red Sea. And I realized at that rate, we would be studying Moses for 40 years ourselves, probably. Um, but there's so much in these two chapters that we need to treat it just a little bit differently than we have been the other sections. But the summary verse is Exodus 14:31. It says, when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians. The people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Um, it's interesting, in the last couple of lessons, we found that it was the people of Egypt that feared Moses, not the people of Israel. They, they were hoping that he was their rescuer, but they were very quick to criticize, very quick to second guess. And this is a phenomenal part of the story when Israel begins to revere Moses. Um, 
If you go to Israel today, even though so many of the uh, citizens of Israel are not religious at all, Moses is, it, there's, there's nothing like it in America, uh, the way they revere uh, Moses and honor him. Not even David uh, is revered the way Moses is revered. And um, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. And when you think of Moses being revered by the Jewish religion, the religion of Islam, and by Christianity, you realize that a majority of the world has put this man in such incredibly high esteem. Um, let's read the story that saw Israel turning from a nation of slaves or a collection of slaves, they were not a nation, into a, a, a free nation uh, headed toward their homeland. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Aviv you are leaving when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites, the land he swore your ancestors to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven, and this is talking about Passover. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year after the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised an oath to you and your ancestors. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Now that's donkeys, not your children, okay? Um, redeem every firstborn among your sons. In the days to come when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh uh, stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter you remember we talked about this. When they left Egypt, they didn't go straight into the land. If they had done that, they would have entered the land from the west. But we know that they entered the land. We know from the book of uh, Deuteronomy, it tells us where they were. And the book of Joshua that tells us about their campaigns, they entered from the east. Uh, and the reason, God said, if they face war, meaning the Philistines would have been their most formidable enemy, 
they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God is directing them just like he directs us. Um, God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Joseph knew it was going to be a long time because he said, it's just going to be rattling bones, but you carry my bones out with you. I'm going to the land just as you are. Um, after leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their uh, way. And by night, a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. The desert heat was horrible to travel in, but God gave them a shade with the pillar of, of cloud. And at night um, in, the, in the desert, the, the nights are almost unbearably cold, but the fire would give them light and heat that would make it possible for them to travel at night. And the little ones would not be affected by that. Neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Now we're about to find out that there's one time it did leave its place and go to the rear of them, but it was to protect them. Um, 14 uh, verse 1 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Haheroth between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Now, what God is doing is he's taking them on a path like this, and then he says, double back. And Israel is doing this. It makes no sense. It's like trying to go from here to Greenville by way of Atlanta. And um, this is the reason. Verse 3, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. Pharaoh will say they're confused. They don't know where they're going. They're, they're, they're going in the wrong direction. They are, they are ripe for the picking. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Now you've got to remember, because of the way Pharaoh dealt with Israel, their economy has been ruined. They're, they lose their meat, then they lose their grain. Uh, dairy products, then they lose their vegetables and they lose their fruit and they lose their livestock. Uh, the economy is ruined and right on the heels of that, not only is their economy totally ruined and the people, um, the, the uh, Israelites ask for their treasures and the people give them. It was, it was God allowing Israel to ransack the Egyptians as though they had crushed them in a military campaign. So they've lost their personal wealth. They've lost their economy. They've lost their foodstuffs. And now their army is about to be destroyed. Absolutely, totally destroyed. So verse 6, he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt uh, with officers over all of them. 
The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly, the Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped. Now the average, now Pharaoh brought all of his chariots, but the average relatively small uh, percentage, I mean a contingent of chariots, and there would have been scores of contingents of chariots that were part of the army. Um, if they were attacking me and whoever else was up here on this platform with me, they would, they would ride in a circular pattern um, that would involve maybe a little less than a hundred yards. And over the course of that, the way they operated, those chariots would, would come in range and out of range. And uh, scholars have said that on an average day, on an average day with an average contingent, that little group of chariots could produce up here 600 arrows every minute. That's a lot of arrows to come every minute. And he's got all of them. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? I mean, that's, that's pretty cheeky when you're facing death and you can afford to be sarcastic. You know, what is it? There just weren't enough graves to bury us in Egypt that you had to bring us out here? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Most of us, before God does what he says he would do, are willing to stay where we were instead of going forward in the will of God. That's just the way we are. Um, uh, I know in the years when God has moved me from a comfortable ministry at a church to another one, uh, almost without fail, not every time, but I'm talking about especially in my younger years, um, when I thought of moving from here to here, here suddenly became very comfortable. And I didn't want to leave. I, I thought, no, I need, to, I need to just stay here. And that's what they were doing. Was, was it, didn't we tell you to please leave us in Egypt? And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Well, I can give you a half dozen reasons while Moses was crying out to him. But God was teaching not just the people, but he was teaching Moses. Um, you see, because Moses was a military leader in Egypt, um, we know that from the writings of Josephus. There had been two major wars that Moses, this is not in the Bible, this is in, in, in history, in Jewish history, um, the writing of the, of the uh, rabbis and of, of historians like Josephus. Moses conducted two major wars for Egypt and won them. And he was a military hero. And one thing Moses knew is you don't win battles by being still and watching. 
And so this was something he was having to learn as well. God said, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on, raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and the horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. Now the cloud is in back of them for the first time. But it was to keep the Egyptians from the Israelites. And it was to keep the Israelites from watching their enemy. Anytime you keep your eyes on your enemy, it fuels fear. So sometimes God makes us blind to the obvious uh, because he's protecting us, not only emotionally, but he's protecting us from the hand of the enemy. The pillar of cloud also moved from front and stood behind them coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. And we're going to find that the waters part and then they wait a while. We don't know how long, but all night long there was a wind because that would have just been a, a marsh to walk through. But God sent a supernatural wind and it had to be a supernatural wind. It wasn't just a breeze blowing that dried up the, the, the marshy land that was previously the sea bottom. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. And um, you, you've got to understand some scholars have said that that may have meant that there was a wall of water 40 to 60 feet high that they walked between, yet the ground was dry. And, the, and they did this at night. And, um, you know, I always thought, well, the Lord sent them through at night because that would have scared them to death. But you got to remember, they had the light. They had light as they walked through. So they're seeing this. And then the Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, that meant that roughly three hour period before sunrise. Okay. Um, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariot so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. We've seen this through these 10 plagues. We don't want any part of this. Let's go back. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak, the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. Uh, by the way, this was such a monumental thing that we know this from, from Egyptian records, that for 17 years after this event, for 17 years, the Egyptians did not go back into this area. They, they said, God lives there. 
and they stayed away from there. They exercised control over, um, I guess we would call it Syria, um, uh, the, the western part of Syria. But it was going to be well over 20 years before they would ever try to collect their tribute from Syria again because they weren't going anywhere near the scene of where this happened. The water flowed back, covered the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. Now in Cecil B. DeMille's movie, Pharaoh survives, but nobody survives. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of God displayed, this is what we read, against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in Him and in Moses, His servant. Father, we've already prayed tonight, but I just want to pray one more time that the story we've just read would come alive. We may not be facing an enemy that is the same type of enemy that Israel faced on that night, but we face enemies just as deadly. We face situations in our lives that can disrupt our destiny just as surely and just as strongly as the Egyptians wanted to destroy the children of Israel. So help us to learn tonight, Lord. Help us to put our faith in you. And even if we have moments when we say, I should have never started on this journey, or we have moments when we say, I was better off in Egypt, we have moments when we doubt everybody around us and the plan and purposes of God, help us like Israel to sing a song of victory Help us, as David Wilkerson teaches us, to sing it before we cross instead of waiting till after. Teach us, Lord, to sing the right song on the right side, not the right song on the wrong side. And that way we can sing on both sides. Help us with our battles and our struggles, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to remind you the reason that we apply these stories to our lives is that Paul said twice in the New Testament... He said these stories were given to us as examples of the fight that we wage and the life that we live and the journey that we're on. Thank you. Um, now I've had a chair brought up. I've had water brought up. If any of you have, if you want to keep upping it, that'll be great, whatever. <laughs> Let's talk about six ideas that we pick up on immediately. These seem to be so obvious. It's like we're walking along, you know, uh, 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 a field and we don't even have to dig. We just see treasures laying on, along the side of our path. That's the way this first part is. And then I want to talk to you after that about what God did and, and about five lessons that are a little harder to, we have to dig a little below the surface to see those. And number one, the first idea I want you to see is that many of our toughest days are when we are right in the center of God's will. Um, I, I used to think because it just made sense. If I had trouble, it was because I was out of God's will. Um, and that really would be very easy that would be the easy approach to embrace, to just say, well, 
you know, I'm having trouble because I'm out of God's will. Then you find out why you're out of God's will and make an adjustment. Uh, and there's a reason for that. I understand why we have been taught that. God spoke to Israel when they went into the land. He said, now you, you grew up in Egypt. And in Egypt, you had the Nile that never ran dry. And you had irrigation, foot pumps, one translation calls it. Um, even in times of famine, all you had to do was irrigate the Nile and you never missed a beat. Now, sometimes there were extreme situations uh, like in Joseph's day when the famine lasted for seven years. That, that, that had ramifications that were beyond normal. But God said, now what you're used to is we've got the river. The river is our life. The river is our source. And, and all we have to do is just irrigate off the river. But he said, I'm sending you to a land that uh, is not, it doesn't have anything like the Nile River in it. It's got the Jordan and it's got a handful of brooks um, and, you know, little tributary creeks that ran off of the Jordan. But there were places in the Jordan where certain times of the year, um, really about six or seven months of the year, you could just walk across the Jordan easily. And irrigation was not really an option for you because um, it, it, was, it was not just a river that overflowed to the, to the region. It was a river that shrunk down to, in places you could jump over it. Now it made up for it during the harvest time when the rains came and Jordan was over a mile wide. But it, there was just no, no predictability to it as far as, well, if this happens, we can do this. Or if this happens, we can do this. He said, I'm sending you into a land where there are the early and the latter rains, the former or the latter rains. He said, the planting of your seed, the maturing of the crop and the harvest is going to depend on seasonal rains coming twice a year. And he said, if I punish you for your sins by holding back the rain, this is what he said. He said, call upon me cry out to me and I'll tell you why I have held back the rain. You can repent and then I'll restore the rain. That's what happened with Elijah. If that was, you know, Elijah, I know he heard from God, but that was what Moses said would happen when Israel stepped out of God's will. Um, and, and that's where we get this idea. If I have trouble, I must be out of God's will. And loved ones, I want to tell you the truth. When I get into a tough spot, one of the first questions I ask is, Lord, is this my fault? Is this something I have done? Am I not doing something right? Or is this in your love? You're holding back the rain to get me moving in the right direction. And that's not a capricious God that's mean spirit and just gets mad and slaps us around. That's a God who loves us. That's a God who says, listen, if you're going down the wrong path, I'll cause your way to not be profitable so you can get on the right path and I can forgive you. Um, that's true. That does happen. But I also, this is why we need to walk in the spirit. This is why I say that we don't live by formulas. I have found it just as likely when I'm going through a tough time that I haven't stepped out of the will of God. Sometimes, sometimes yes. Sometimes I'm suffering because I've stepped out of the will of God. But I have found just as often that I find myself in some of the toughest places that I have ever been, not because I'm out of the will of God, but because I am dead center in the will of God. You remember what we said about storms? 
Some, sometimes storms come because we're out of the will of God. Jonah's a great example, right? I think somebody might have just taught about Jonah uh, for a few weeks here. Sometimes we have storms because we're out of the will of God. Sometimes we have storms because somebody near us is out of the will of God. I think about Paul and, and his uh, adventure near the end of the book of Acts where um, he said, look, God's told me we need to stay in port. We don't need to leave. And, and Paul said, God has told me, let's stay here. But the captain said, no, nope, we're going. And the, and the, and the uh, officer said, we're going. And Paul went through a storm that nearly took his life and the life of everyone on board, even though it was not Paul that was out of the will of God, it was those with Paul. Sometimes a family goes through a storm because a husband or a wife is out of the will of God. Sometimes a church goes through a storm because a pastor is out of the will of God or a pastor goes through a storm because the church is out of the will of God. So it can happen that way. But think about the disciples when they were in that storm that nearly destroyed them all. Why were they in the storm? Because Jesus made them get in the boat and go to the other side. They didn't want to. They, they wanted to stay with Jesus. Jesus made them, forced them to get into the boat and go to the other side. And they found themselves in the middle of a death-dealing storm. Why? Because they obeyed Jesus. It's tough. It's tough. And we've got to learn, and I know this is so difficult, because it's not, it's not a logical reaction. But that's why we need to learn when trouble comes, we need to find out if we're out of the will of God, and if so, correct it. But we, we may find ourselves in the will of God, and instead of getting angry with Him, instead of saying, Lord, you know, why, you know, is you, did, did you not have room to bury me in West Columbia that you had to bring me over to, to Ballantyne to kill me? You know, Lord, what's going on? Sometimes the toughest days are when we are centered in God's will. So what do we do? We ask him, Lord, how do I walk through this? What do I learn in this? How do I bring glory to your name through this? Okay, that's number one. Are you all with me? Here's number two, letter B, I think it is on your outline. Foundational lessons are often early in our experience. That's why it isn't wise to try and move past basics. I know that a lot of people really think it's a sign of maturity to move past things like personal devotion, like reading your Bible daily, like praying, like church attendance and like fellowship. And they say, well, that's just elementary things. That's just basic things. It, it, it is, but... It's the foundation upon which we live. I know the writer of Hebrews says we need to move past foundational things. But when you read it in context, he wasn't saying leave those foundational things behind. He was saying build on the foundational thing. Don't just stay sucking a bottle, but build on the foundational things. Peter would say, and, and, and Paul would say the same principle, add to this, this, and add to this, this. And add to this, this. So it's an ongoing thing. Um, but we need to be sure that we don't move past basics. Um, we need to be sure that even if we have a prophetic voice in our lives, you must never, you must never allow the prophetic voice to take the place of Scripture in your life. Uh, 
you must never allow an experience to trump what we know is basic Christianity. And um, we, the, the Pentecostal and charismatic movement has fallen prey to that over the last century from time to time. Anything that is, is glittery and anything that appears to be gold and flashy, if we're not careful, we'll leave what is tried and true and proven and right to pursue something. Um, I, I remember, and, and I, I, I've already dealt with this with this person, and we're, I, I even asked permission to share this. And, and on top of that, the person's not even in this church anymore. Um, but we talked through this. Um, they, they came to me one Wednesday night and said, Pastor, there is gold. There is gold on the front row. And I looked at it and I said, it does look like gold. And I know God can do anything. And um, I thought, eh, why, why would God do that? I mean, if he wants to do it, God can do anything. I mean, that, I don't have any problem with that. God can, God can do anything. And that was a big thing going around at the time that, you know, gold dust falling in churches and things. And I wonder, I said, well, I wonder if it's what's happening to our, in our church. And I told my wife about it when I went home. And I said, this is what happened. What do you think about it? She said, was it on the front row? And I said, yeah. She said, Missionette sat there. And I said, I don't understand. She said, they had glitter all over them because of their, of their dress up for the evening. She said, honey, this isn't gold, this is glitter. And, and I, I, I wasn't critical of the other person, but I, in our discussion later, I said, you know, I've never seen you as excited about anything in the years I've been your pastor as you were this gold that turned out to be glitter from, from Michael's. And um, I guess what I'm trying to say is we need to be careful because sometimes what we think is from Michael is from Michael's. And, and, and I, we've all done that. We've all done that. I got so excited uh, one time over something that um, I thought was an absolute total miracle. I mean, it, it was fabulous. I was bouncing off the walls. And then I found out that my daddy said, oh no, I, I did that. And but there's nothing wrong with getting excited and there's nothing wrong with, with making a mistake. There's nothing wrong that thinking that glitter is gold. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to be careful that we are, are still balanced and pursuing the foundational things um, and, and not thinking that God is somehow moving us on to something greater. You won't get greater than devotion to Scripture. You won't get greater than prayer. You won't get greater than worship. You won't get greater than fellowshipping with one another at church. Now, there are some things that God may pour out into our lives, but whatever we do, we still stay rooted in foundational things. Well, let me go on to number three. We need to remember, and, and this, you might say, Pastor, this is just, you got to be dumb not to see this. Well, I must be dumb because I forget it sometimes. But even when we don't realize it, the Lord is leading us and protecting us. Even when the Lord says, okay, I've led you down here. Now back up and go right back up the other direction. And I say, Lord, that makes no sense. It didn't make any sense to us. But the Lord was saying, I'm going to make Pharaoh think that you are wandering aimlessly. 
And Pharaoh is going to think I've got them in a trap and Pharaoh doesn't understand I'm trapping Pharaoh. Okay, the Lord is leading us and protecting us. And that leads to number four. Often when we feel trapped by the enemy, it's the enemy himself who has been trapped. Often when we feel trapped by the enemy, it's the enemy itself, uh, himself who has been trapped. God will use hell against itself. And I'll talk about that in, in just a moment. And number five, our tendency is to either cry out to the Lord or point out someone's mistakes or both. You remember I said a couple of Sundays ago that in heaven, the scriptures tell us that two things constantly happen at the throne of God, intercession and accusation. The enemy comes with accusation. Jesus is there with intercession. We need to be sure that when we pray that we're not pointing out, but we are crying out. And we're on God's side in the issue. It's interesting when Isaiah said, you want to really see a breakthrough? Isaiah said, you know, this is, first of all, you need to understand what true fasting is. You need to understand what humility is. And then Isaiah said something. Well, it was the Lord speaking through Isaiah. That's absolutely phenomenal. He said, withdraw the pointing finger. Withdraw the pointing finger. See, we all have a tendency to say, Lord, we'd have more presence here. If, if that man over there would, would, would sing better songs. God says, God says literally, he says, Glenn's songs aren't the problem. Withdraw the pointing finger. That's the problem. That's the problem. So we learn to cry out, not point out. And then uh, number, what would this be? Number six, we learn the proper time to resist fear, to stand still, to watch and let God fight for you. Now, there are times that we do what we ought to do. There are times that God says, I will give you the victory as you fight. But there are also times that God says, look, there are some things that you can't have a hand in. Passover and the deliverance from the Red Sea is, is like Jesus' death on the cross and communion in the New Testament. Now, we are to have the fruit of the Spirit and to do good works. But when it comes to salvation, I have nothing I can add to the mix. Nothing I can add to the mix. It has to be the work of God. It has to be the work of God. Um, sometimes God in, in healing will say, uh, I'll move and you do this. Think about Hezekiah. What did God do when Hezekiah had a death sentence? The prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, set your house in order because you're going to die. What did Isaiah do? He comes back and says, the Lord says, I'll add 15 years of your life. And what else did he say? He said, I'll get this poultice. He told him a poultice. He said, put that on the wound. So we see God saying, I'm going to do it, but use medicine. And we shouldn't treat medicine. We shouldn't, we shouldn't treat anything that God can use as our enemy. Um, well, I better go on because... Uh, Oh, wait a minute. We've already prayed. Hey, I'm home free. I, I, I'm home free. Okay. Now, what was the plan of God? Um, this is kind of obvious, and I don't need to preach about the points here, but the plan of God was beautiful. He commanded the Israelites to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Uh, he commanded them uh, to, to keep going in the direction. F follow your previous instructions. When trouble comes, don't stand still. Don't stop. 
Just keep going. You know, a lot of times things will happen to us in, in society or in our lives, in a doctor's report or in a financial uh, setback. And we want to just stop. But what we do, what we have to learn, and I know it's so hard. Churches have to do this. You keep following your last instruction. Keep doing the last thing God told you to do. And don't let the devil make you stop. Now, uh, there's a couple of funny ways we can look at that. There was um, uh, connected with the Salvation Army back in the late 1800s. There was an old retired prize fighter that was a street preacher. And um, he, he thought most of his problems could be solved with his fist. And God wouldn't let him fight. I mean, that's not surprising to us. But um, um, the Lord told him, you know, uh, he said, you just follow me, follow my last instruction. And there was a guy that was just giving him such trouble and such harassment that uh, the guy um, one day thought, well, I could, he's not going to fight back. And the, 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 um, the, the skeptic, the, uh, the, the, the guy that was picking on the street preacher, he came up to him one time knowing he was a prize fighter, knowing that he wouldn't fight back. He came up to him and slapped him. And that prize fighter, his instinct would have been, you know, to punch back. But he just stood there a moment and he said to that man, he said, sir, I have turned the other cheek and the Lord has left me no further instructions. <laughs> so he was saying, don't do that again, you know. And but at least he was learning the lesson. Follow the last instructions that you had. Um, Yeah, I better go on. God blocked the, the line of natural sight. I think sometimes it's not till after something's over that we, look, that we look back and see either the danger that we were in or we see what God allowed that if we had known it, it would have terrified us. Sometimes God just keeps you so blinded. Um, one time when I was uh, a young preacher and I was preaching at a tough that was at a church that was a tough place to preach, um, the people were good. They just weren't real responsive and they loved their pastor. They didn't want anybody else to preach. And he invited me to come in and preach for a week. It was the longest year of my life preaching those uh, seven days because they didn't they didn't want to hear me. And it was about the fourth night that we had a breakthrough. I mean, we had a breakthrough. Uh, I had begged the Lord to let me leave. I said, I do not want to preach to these people. And Lord, they don't want me to preach to them. And I don't understand. The devil doesn't want me to preach. It seems everybody doesn't want me to preach except you. And I'm thinking it's best for me not to preach. Well, we had a breakthrough that fourth night. And I tell you what happened. I didn't know it. There was, a, there was a, an old saint in the church that led music that night. You know, we had to call up choir, you know, where you call up people and and most of the nights of that revival, we had more people that came up to sing than we did to sing to out here. Um, but he was up here and the, pa the pastor said, uh, sit with me, sit with me, Charles. Why? And so you can close us out with a song. And he was up there and, and they said that from the moment I prayed and asked God for anointing, that man walked behind me. He came up behind me, waved his arms over me. He would run across the platform, clapping his hands like that right behind me. And they said every time he got close to me, the anointing just fell and God did amazing things. He'd go back and then I'd begin to struggle and he'd come up again. He did that the whole sermon. And I want to tell you, you say, didn't that bother you, Pastor? 
I had no idea whatsoever that he had ever even come close to me or said amen. They said he held his hands over my head and clapped and prayed for glory to come down. I was oblivious to it. You say, well, he was out of order. No, I was just scared to death. And if I had known what he was doing, I would, I would, I mean, it's hard to preach looking over your shoulder. But I believe with all of my heart, God just blinded me to that. I never heard a word of it. I, I think I might have heard him praying one time, but I didn't think that was out of the ordinary. But he was all over me. And I think God just shielded me absolutely shielded me. And sometimes God will block our line of natural sight. Everybody else in that church saw what God was doing and the rest of the meeting was phenomenal. But it wasn't because of me. It was because of what God did through that brother that would have normally scared me to death. Now, the third thing God did is he piled up the water and dried the land so that the Israelites could walk through to the other side. We know that. And he overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Now, I want to say this. God will use hell against itself. You and I need to be aware that this is why we can't take our progress report from this world. Because this world will always give us the wrong percentages and will give us the wrong ideas and the wrong perceptions. Always. God is able to take what is absolutely ironclad wisdom for the enemy and cause it to be lost in the shuffle. Ahithophel was a counselor of David and he turned on David when Absalom uh, launched his rebellion. And it says that Ahithophel, when Ahithophel spoke, it was, people said, well, we've heard from God. If we hear from Ahithophel, we hear from God. He was the, the premier counselor in David's administration. And David prayed a prayer while he was leaving town. He said, oh Lord, confuse the counsel of Ahithophel. Let there be confusion over the counsel of Ahithophel. And Absalom got an ironclad, foolproof plan for defeating David that would have worked. It made perfect sense. There was no reason to second guess Ahithophel. But the Bible says Ahithophel looked at him, or David looked at Ahithophel and said, that's not a good idea. And so Absalom went with another plan and he ends up dead trying to bring down David. Um, the same thing happened that happened between uh, Absalom and Ahithophel happened with Pharaoh and Israel. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. The, 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 his commanders were saying, let's get out of here. We, we should have learned over the last year from these plagues we, that God fights for Israel. Let's get out of here. But Pharaoh's persistence, they just kept going and kept going. And then by the time they decided to turn out, it was, it was too late. Now, what are the Christian life lessons? Let's everybody pause and get a drink of water. Here it is. Five things very quickly. Number one, bondages and strongholds often need a dramatic event to set us free. Now, this is another one of those things where I say on one hand, but on the other hand, I don't mean that you can't be set free without a dramatic event. But I'm saying don't be surprised if God doesn't dramatically 
use things that you're not accustomed to to set you free. I've given you the story of how God set me free from uh, profound depression and, and other problems that I was struggling with at the James Robinson Bible Conference back in, in um, 1988. Um, it, was, it was a bondage of strongholds that I, I could have never worked my way out of. I could have never worked my way out of it. I, it, it. They had just strongholds can get layer after layer after layer. And by strongholds, sometimes a stronghold is demonic and demons need to be dealt with. Sometimes a stronghold is just a mind. Um, Jack Taylor called it the ruts of the mind. You know, you can go on an old dirt road and if it's used enough, you don't even need to steer. You just push the gas and the car will stay in the ruts. That's the way strongholds are when they're just mental. That's why we read the New Testament and sometimes an attitude like jealousy or envy or strife is called the fruit of the flesh and then other times it's called demonic because at one level it can just be our flesh acting up but another level a stronghold can be demonic. And sometimes um, it's going to be more dramatic because it's, it's more demonic. And things need to be dealt with. Um, sometimes deliverance can come when we learn enough that we act differently. Or we hurt enough that we act differently. Or, or we grow enough that we act differently. But sometimes deliverance doesn't come until something is bound and cast off of us. And um, that's why we, we need to be open to the supernatural power of God. You say, well, what if it demons? And that's always got to be dramatic. No, I, I really tell you what I think. I think demonic influence in the life of a Christian. I think sometimes demons are cast out. And I think sometimes demons are crowded out. Um, I, I think whenever a person turns to prayer and worship and the word of God, there is as much spiritual warfare happens over that as when someone takes authority over an evil spirit. But don't be surprised if bondages and strongholds often need a dramatic event to set us free. I think what I'm trying to say is this. When there's a stronghold in our life, whether it's just a stronghold of our mind, the way we think, the way we react, the way we feel about ourselves, or whether it is a demonic stronghold, you know, that you're parent was a Wiccan or something like that and offered you as a child sacrifice or something. I mean, and, and, it's, and it's demonic and needs to be broken. Either way, um, sometimes the Lord will crowd that demon out. Sometimes he will cast that thing out. And um, I think that's, but expect, expect it to be beyond your efforts. I mean, beyond your abilities, I should say, not, not that we don't have efforts. Um, number two, Often we are set free only after we have forsaken all other options. In other words, we need to reach the end of ourselves. Loved ones, we know what it's like to pray for children, to pray for parents, to pray for a spouse, to pray for loved ones, to pray for politicians or whatever. But sometimes you can't do anything until that person comes to the end of themselves. They, you know, you say, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried this, I've tried that. And then I went back and tried it all again. But loved ones, those that we pray for, what we need to pray for is, I think usually earlier than we do, we need to pray that they will come to the end of themselves, that their plans will not work and that they will see their, their need of the Lord. I know um, when... 
one of my um, relatives was in real rebellion against the Lord. My mother would pray uh, every day for this person. And he would say, Lord, I pray for so-and-so. I want him to come to you because he loves you. I want him to come to you because he knows it's the right thing to do. She said, but Lord, uh, I also pray that whatever you need to do to get him to that point, do it. And then she would end her prayer this way. She said, Lord, help him to come to the end of himself. And I was a kid. I didn't understand what that meant. And I would learn later, Lord, help him to come to the end of himself. Number three, sometimes the only way for God to get the glory he deserves is to do the fighting himself. Now, there, there are times that, you know, God says, like he did to Joshua, what are you doing crying out to me? Israel has sinned. Go deal with the problem. And there are times that we go forward as the Lord directs us and we go fight the battle. But sometimes, sometimes there are battles that are reserved for the Lord. And you say, well, there's nothing I can do. We stand still, we watch, and we let God fight for us. Number four, to walk with God for a lifetime we must accept a deficiency of the flesh. You are never going to grow to the point that you don't need the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, I had teaching when I was in college and I was kind of surprised that the college allowed the man to, to, to teach this in chapel. I think they didn't know what he was going to teach because he was never invited back. But basically what he taught us, he says, now, right now you're being told, he's speaking to 18, 19, 20, 21 year old college kids. He says, right now you're being told that you need to, to pray and you need to wait upon the God, uh, upon the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, as you grow in the Lord, you'll realize you don't have to do all this praying. And you don't have to be in the Word all the time. You've just got to stand on your relationship with the Lord. And that was the worst advice I think I ever got in all of my years of seminary and Bible college. The idea that if I could just grow up, I wouldn't have to pray anymore, or at least not as much. I wouldn't have to read the Scriptures nearly as much. And I, I will tell you this much, the guy's life came crashing down. He was, he was out of ministry probably within 10 years of teaching that in our chapel. You see, I, what I needed, and I'm so thankful for Brother Homer, the, 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 uh, Dr. Homer was the president of Southeastern in those days. He got up in, in his next chapel. I don't remember if it was the next chapel or the, just the next time he was scheduled, but he dealt with that. He said, he said children, I loved it when he called us children. He said, children, um, uh, he said, that's not true. That's not true. And he said, I've walked with the Lord through this, that, that, and the other. And he gave us this. He was like Paul giving his list of his sufferings as an apostle. And he said, I've learned I need to pray now more than I've ever needed to pray in my life. I need to call upon God now more than I've ever needed to call upon. And what he was saying, he didn't use these words. He's saying, if you're going to have a long history with God, you've got to understand the flesh will never be enough. Now you, ought, now you ought to get stronger, you, you ought to, you ought to, but your strength must not be in your ability. It must be based on the Lord's faithfulness. Here's the last thing. Episodes of delays and denials are often the time of greatest growth. That stinks. I should have done this first so you could get over it instead of sending you home on it. But God seems to use times of delays and denials as times 
of our greatest growth. That's why there's one thing that has happened without fail through the years from the time I was a teenager serving the Lord till now. And it is this, if I give it enough time, the, the events, the circumstances, the moments that I think are the darkest, if I'll give it time, I'll begin to cherish those more and more and more. More and more and more. And I'll see that times of delays and denials are often the time of greatest growth. Um, I think God is weaning us off fleshly dependence. And let me tell you something else God will do. He will get you comfortable besides a brook where he provides water and helicoptered food like he did with Elijah. And then at the peak of everything being at its best, the brook will dry up. Don't think the brook drying up is God drying up. Don't think the brook drying up is God failing or God not taking care of you. He just moves us from glory to glory. And it can hurt sometimes. Um, I used to raise beagles. Tommy and I raised beagles. He, some together and some separate. We, we, we were master beaglers. And um, we loved raising those beagles. And, and uh, I had a, a beagle that, um, uh, in fact, Tommy kept for me for a while because I was in a condo and couldn't have a beagle. And um, her name was Lady. It was uh, after Lady Diana, you know, the, the, the princess that got married along about that time to, to, uh, to Charles. So we called her Lady and um, her, her, uh, her husband was uh, Guapo Dohingoli, which the Filipino lady in our church said, it means you're good looking, but you never take a bath. So we just called him Guapo. We had Guapo and lady. And um, for those of you that may be Filipino, if I mispronounce that, I'm sorry. That's the way she, that might've been just the best pronunciation she could get out of me. But I, I, lady was just, just such an elegant dog. She's just such a beautiful, classic beagle. And I noticed that every time she had a litter of puppies, she was just, oh, she was just, I mean, it was like Lassie, a beagle Lassie, you know. She was just perfect with those pups. But after a few weeks, every litter she had, she did the same thing. Um, I mean, in the early days, those pups would cry. She'd come running. She'd nestle herself around them. They'd start nursing and Oh, she was just such a good mom. Um, she even allowed them, I don't mean to be crude, but she even allowed them as they got a little bit older, when she wanted to leave, she'd just let them hold on and she'd drag them over the yard. You know, she'd have two or three beagles, just puppies just holding on, sucking away while she's going to take care of her business. And then she'd come back to everybody. But after a while, her demeanor changed. And I would hear her growl and snap and act like she was getting into a bar fight. And what she was doing is it was time for those puppies to come off of mama and start eating solid food. And she would get so mean to those puppies when it was time for them to stop nursing. She'd snap at them. She'd draw blood every now and then. And I'd pick up the puppies and say, come on, this is what you're on. You're on, you're on Purina now. You're not on, on Mama anymore. And it seemed so out of character for her. But what she was doing, she says, there's better food. There's more substantive food. 
and you have a destiny, something more important than you just sticking with me all the time. And I learned something from lady and I, I learned that God was doing that same thing to me sometimes. And God does the same thing to his people sometimes. As long as we need nursing, he'll carry us. He'll carry us. As long as we need to be carried anywhere we need to be carried, his comfort is not a factor. He'll take care of us. But there comes a day when God says, I'm going to wean you off the dependence of the flesh and you're going to start depending on the spirit. And don't hate those moments. Loved ones, wrap your arms around those moments. Love those moments because you will look back on them as the best days of your life if, if you can let God lead you down that path. Time to go. Father, thank you for this group tonight and the wonderful time in your word, or at least it was wonderful for me. I pray that you would bless us. I pray that you would teach us um, how we transition successfully from Egypt to the land of promise. We're going to have mountains that we think are un uncrossable, rivers that we think are uncrossable. We're going to have obstacles that we can't get around or we can't tunnel through. But it's in those moments that the glory of the Lord works for us and against the enemy and you bring us to a place of deliverance. Father, if there's anyone here tonight Loved ones, if you have a struggle or a problem or you're hurting, I want to pray for you right now. I'm, I'm, I've, been, I've been gone for a few weeks. So I, don't, I don't even know if we have our prayer teams here on Wednesday. But I pray for them in the name of Jesus that you would show yourself mighty, that you would show yourself gracious, that you would show yourself as the great deliverer. Father, Help us with whatever we're facing, financial, physical, emotional, relational, whatever it is, come to our aid. Say to my soul, as the psalmist said, I am your salvation. Father, touch people that are listening, uh, you know, through, online to this message. I pray that your grace would be sufficient for them. And Father, whether here or at home or wherever, if there's anyone that does not know you as Lord and Savior... In Jesus' name, help us to understand the principles of the Lord. If you're here and you don't know the Lord and you want prayer, just come see me or Pastor Tommy or Pastor Glenn after the service. But if you're online, call us. Call us here at Christian Life. Just go online, christianlifecolumbia.com, and we, we would be more than happy to pray with you and talk with you about following him. Lord, you said that if we will admit that we are sinners and believe that Jesus died on the cross, a substitutionary death for us, that you rose from the dead and lived to make intercession, we confess you as our Lord. You said we'll pass from death to life. Thank you for that. Help us to walk in the power of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here tonight. And uh, go give your, get your kids and give them a hug from pastor if you would. I love you. God bless you.